Welcome to the 30th edition Woo! number big three Woo! zero oh, yeah. of everything EOS. I'm Zach Gawler, in-house EOS aficionado here at ICO Alert, <laughs> the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs. And I'm here today with the founder and CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for this big 3-0 episode of yeah. Everything EOS, episode 30. If you've been with us since the beginning, thank you so much. If you just joined this episode, thank you as well. Join the party. I think we're the longest running EOS podcast. EOS Go stopped. Yeah, that's a good point. point. They were the only ones that were doing this before us. Wow. We are the longest running. You heard it here first. Welcome episodic. back to Everything EOS. The, the longest running EOS podcast. There it is. So we, we sincerely appreciate all the feedbacks, all the comments that we're getting on YouTube, on SoundCloud, wherever you're leaving that feedback. Please continue to do so. It gets us super excited to you know get out of bed every Thursday, come into the office and record. So please keep leaving that feedback and let us know if you like the show by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you may be listening. As a reminder, as every week, uh, for the people still just listening, we are putting uh, video formats on YouTube. We do some graphic overlays. You can see our beautiful faces. Oh, yeah. Just search for everything EOS on YouTube. We will most likely be the very first results. And as a reminder, engage the videos with likes, subscribes, and comments. It helps other people find the comment, get suggested to them. If you like it, everyone else will hopefully like it too. Now, before we got, we got a really good episode for you today, coming hot off the presses for you. But before we get started, I got to give you an important disclaimer. My friends at Gall here and I both do hold EOS tokens, and we're going to be expressing our opinion about EOS and the open source EOSIO software throughout this podcast. But please don't take any of the opinions that we're expressing as legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. We're just two people talking about open source software that we love. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a brand new announcement about a new judge for the San Francisco Hackathon made just this morning, an upcoming EOS hard fork and an explanation of what that means, and the latest update on when we could expect the resource exchange to be ready on the main net. Oh, yeah. Ready to go? Let's do Let's it. Let's get to it. So coming up, we're going to give you the same reminder we've been giving you that we have some some pretty exciting EOS-themed events coming up. So first and foremost, we have the next installment of the global EOS hackathon Ooh, hitting yeah. San Francisco next month, November 10th and 11th. So we're about two weeks away now, and it uh, should be pretty exciting to see what happens so there. So as a reminder, it's yeah. going to be at a place called The Village. Yep. Uh, it's got a maximum capacity of 1,100 people. So Oof. if you are even thinking about going, uh, there's still tickets on sale. Oh, yeah. EOS New York, I actually just saw on Twitter, they have a promo code. If you want to go to the EOS Hackathon for free, even though it's only a $10 ticket, oh, wow. use the coupon code EOSNY. There it is. And your hackathon ticket will be free. That's awesome. And as another reminder about the hackathon, I heard, both. I heard there's a new judge, huh? Yeah, there is. Well, there is yeah. a, a new judge. Bre breaking news, everybody. You so go for the news. Yeah, in addition to both Zach Gall and I being there, Gall will be there. I think participating in the hackathon, yeah, and I'll be there as one of the entrepreneurial mentors. Um, but we will be joined by a third. The man himself, Dan Larimer, he was at the London Hackathon, was a judge there, was awesome to go down and, and meet the community. I think he probably met everybody at the London Hackathon. And it looks like now he's going to do the same thing in San Francisco. So super excited, Dan, if you're watching this. We can't wait to see you and meet you in San Francisco. I think it's going to be a fun time. I can't wait. 
Uh, did we mention the scaling blockchain conference? No. So uh, just a day after the hackathon. So hackathon is on 10th and 11th. If you stay an extra day in San Francisco, there's a scaling blockchain conference where tons of people from the EOS community, myself included, will be speaking, kind of sharing our thoughts on the current state of the market, the ecosystem, where EOS might be in the future. And uh, that should be a pretty good time as well. And I'll, I'll have... Uh I'm working with uh, Adaptcast. With uh, I'm working as part of ICO Alert. I'll have a podcasting setup uh, on site at the conference. We'll have a four mic setup, so I'm still looking to to book some topics and guests. Nice. So you can email me at z a c k period g a l l at icoalert.com if you have any ideas or want to participate in that. Uh, we'll also probably get a web form up pretty soon, but since it's getting kind of close. But for right now, you can just email me and. Uh, let, or hit me up on Telegram if you uh, think you've got something interesting to say. Uh, I probably stay in touch. I probably am already in touch with a lot of you guys. Um, but that's that on the uh, scaling blockchain. Uh, the other thing about San Francisco is if, if you guys haven't booked your flights yet, I just booked my, my flight yesterday. Actually, yeah, that was last mine. minute. Um, if you're wondering like when you should come in, so the hackathon starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday. So right. he, I, I know Pete, he's come. He's another employee here at IC Alert, Bitkenstein, if you listen to his podcast. He's flying in Saturday morning. He's a nutcase. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. So he's basically getting off the plane and heading straight to the hackathon. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting in Friday night. Uh, okay. You're, you're also? No, I get in Thursday evening, I think. I have a sort of like a training session, a meet and greet for okay. the, all the mentors on Friday. So I have to be there a day early. But. So j just so everyone knows, there is stuff going on every night from at least Thursday on all the way till Tuesday. So if you're going to be there any extra nights, uh, start getting people up in the main net channels. There, there's so much going on. Like if yeah. you just want to meet up for drinks or just hang out with like-minded people, uh, don't, don't spend Thursday or Friday night alone in your hotel room because there, <laughs> there's going to be plenty to do. Just hit, hit me up on Twitter if you want to find all, all the cool stuff where all the cool kids are hanging out. Definitely. Yeah, I'll be doing that. I'm excited. Um, before we jump into all the news that's happened with EOS over the last week since this last episode, we got to throw up some Halloween EOS love. Oh, yeah. So Cyphergoss has been running this awesome EOS-themed pumpkin carving contest over the last couple weeks to celebrate Halloween, Halloween and uh, we have some awesome uh, new submissions. So this first one is one we just got this morning. Um, pretty cool. It looks like the EOS <laughs> bat is kind of attacking or eating the, uh, what a is little, that? It's a little mini Ethereum pumpkin. It's got a uh, Okay, I see. That's yeah, great. So he's eating it. He's eating Ethereum, Ethereum taking its lunch. We got an awesome one of uh, Dan and his face, which looks pretty good. Thanks for taking the suggestion uh, from last week if you listened. Has a cool EOS logo there as well. Um, we have some others. We have some people who painted their pumpkins. And then a couple interesting submissions where people, looks like they almost poked holes through, yeah. you know, hundreds of holes into this pumpkin to create this really cool cityscape. You have EOS in the sky. I assume it's on the moon, which is pretty awesome. So huge shout out to everybody that submitted their pumpkin so far. If you want to win up to 200 EOS, almost $1,000 is that first place spot. Submit your pumpkin on Twitter with the hashtag HollowEOS and tweet at CypherglassBP. And you could be one of the winners. So you're telling me right when you came in, when we were talking about this Halloween contest about all, all the copycats. Oh, my what, God. What, what happened? Ever since the <laughs> announcements, you made the announcement, what, like two and a half weeks? A couple ago? weeks ago, yeah. So the beginning of October, we came out. We made this pumpkin contest. Maybe it's been done before. Maybe it was done last year. I'm not sure. Um, but then suddenly... Binance came out with a pumpkin carving mm -hmm. contest. Chains, that EOS exchange came out with one. Bitfinex came out with a contest. So many people coming out with ha uh, Halloween contests, which I think is awesome in the crypto world in general. Um, but the main EOS contest is still Halloween. So. I don't think it's been... So I talked to you the night I thought of carving an EOS pumpkin, and I was yeah. like, you should do a contest. And I was looking for, for precedence on this. 
I think there's only been one before, and it was done really? by a Steemit user last year wanting to do like okay. Steam or crypto themed pumpkins. They had like two entries, and it wasn't very good. Yeah. So I looked high and low to see like, okay, that's like good how other know. people did their judging and stuff. And right. Because I wanted to find examples to give you for like the blog post right. to, to give people inspiration. And I think you're you're the first big one at least. Boom. Now we got all the copycats. Yeah, that's okay. You know, lead by uh, lead by example. <laughs> I think we have the best submission so far for sure. The other ones I thought were pretty good though. The somebody did CZ's face from Binance. That was a really good one. Yeah. All, the, all those photorealistic ones. So so my wife and I, she she likes to watch this show, which is like a tattoo oh, okay, show. Yeah. And they usually do like the first round of competition as like something non-tattooing. And there's been a bunch of episodes where they they like carve pumpkins. And really? They, they use like yeah, they use like because the like the Dan photorealistic face, they're just using different depth to to shade his huh. face. Where they're and, like sh shaving off layers yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And they they've made some super insane pumpkins. Wow. There. So there there's still another week almost left. So huh. there's still a chance for you to get some last minute submissions. Yeah, you got to reach out to uh, the people on that show and say, "Hey, come on, submit your <laughs> pumpkin." $1,000 of uh, EOS. Yeah, win 200 EOS. That's pretty awesome. So uh, I just said $1,000 of EOS. I didn't say how many? 200 EOS? Right, 200 and EOS. That, that gets into the next point. All these stable coins. What's up? Oh, my goodness. So, so <laughs> I, I like the idea of stable coins. Right. But it, it's getting out of control. Like 2017 was like the year of ICOs and 2018 is the year of stable coins. Yeah, it seems like it. It seems everybody who, you know, saw the crazy uh, bear market that we've been in over the past year or so was like, wait, we need to be stable. <laughs> we need to be more stable. Get all the stable I coins. Mean, I, I, Bitcoin's the freaking stable coin, man. Yeah. There's been like a percent of volatility like the past week. Which, oh, absolutely. This is the tightest range we've been in. So let's explain if if somebody's out there they don't know what a stable coin is their first time what is a stable coin so a stable coin is just a collateral like it's a collateralized collateral backed dollar so basically it, in most cases like usd tether is the the or i don't know if it's the original stable coin but it's the most widely used stable right. coin the longest lasting and basically it's just almost like a bank account that's set up that that's auditable not so much for tether right but for these new stable coins they're all auditable and basically a new token is created that represents one us dollar for every one dollar that's in like uh this auditable bank account so basically it's a way to, to tokenize a dollar and, yeah. and trade a dollar with somebody else so so yeah it, it's basically you lock up a dollar in a bank somewhere mm -hmm. and it's not on a blockchain but it is verifiable by by uh, regulators in the case of like the coinbase stable coin right but for every one uh, stable coin in existence, like a USDC, which is the new uh, Coinbase stable coin that they came out with with Circle about two days ago. Yeah. Every every one dollar of the stable coin, there is one dollar back and get in a bank, and that that's auditable. Regulators can see it, and that that's the gist behind it. <laughs> but what is in your opinion, the reason that these stable coins are such a big deal, because a lot of people are kind of brushing it off, like why do we need so many stable coins? Yeah, I think right now it's most people, when they see things like Tether, it's like, oh, this is what people sell into. You know, they'll sell all their Bitcoin for Tether and just sort of hold it there when they think the market's going to dump. And then they'll use that Tether to buy it back. And that's really the only use case we've seen of something like a, a USD-backed stablecoin before. But now with all these new ones releasing, it sort of begs the question, why? You know, why do we need so many? Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, and, and I obviously am somebody who's a proponent of crypto. I think this may not last in the long term if something like the US dollar does hyperinflate or collapse, but that's a whole nother topic for another time. Um, but I think stable coins can have some real utility in the near future with dApps. So, you know, all these different dApps that are launching on EOS, right now when the EOS price is relatively stable at, you know, five to six dollars over the last, you know, couple of weeks or so, it's okay and people can 
you know, play games with that or buy digital items with that. But at some point in the future, there may be dApps that sort of want to, to dollarize everything in their dApp. There may be something that they sell for $10. They always want to sell it for $10. So you can either send them $10 worth of EOS or you can just send them 10 of your USDC stable coins. So I, I actually, think it'll be dApp integration mostly. I actually saw a really uh, good tweet with a video that kind of explains this on our behalf. I could do it a lot better. Yeah, let's on Money 2020 recently. And Coinbase retweeted uh, the, the video where he's explaining why he believes stable coins are, are going to kind of innovate the industry and take us to, to the next level. Uh, you know, we haven't seen a real use case materialize for it other than speculative betting and investing. Right. Uh, when are we going to see that killer app? When are we going to have that iPhone moment? Yeah. No, that's a great question. So, so look, I, that, is, that is a knock that I think all of us at, in crypto have to take seriously, which is there's, there's great promise in crypto, and, we, and frankly, I would say that when, when, when Bitcoin arrived, right, it had solved one of the hardest problems in computer science, and it did it in such an elegant way that most of us were too stupid to figure out that it was a general purpose protocol for building an app. It took us a year or two to figure that out. And so then along comes Ethereum, which is a world, basically a development platform for, for, for cryptocurrency. It's, it's like the Java or .NET of crypto, and now others have come along. We have those two main use cases, right? We have store a value and build other apps. We have not yet had the, the, the breakthrough app that, is, that has created utility. I would say that, in, as we thought about it, fintech before crypto, and specifically a stable coin, is like mobile before the iPhone came along. Now that we've got programmable, real, stable currency, you will see the innovation take off in crypto. That's my, that's my personal belief, and that's why, that's, that's, that's why Coinbase has done this. And it'll, it'll unlock the ability to create programmatic money applications like we've not seen before, because now money truly is programmable. That's the difference, and I think that's gonna be the iPhone moment for the, for the industry. So basically, like he said, we all know cryptocurrency as programmable money, but we also understand like the dynamics and, and the speculative nature and the volatility of crypto. Right. So with the stable coins, you get all of the benefits of programmable money. So you could have uh, real life transactions in, in a legally binding smart contract where you're just transacting as you would in real life, where you're right. using dollars for property or dollars for oh, an yeah. item. I mean, one of the original, when I first got into Bitcoin in 2013, there were these use cases flying around. Like, imagine you'll one day be able to sell your house, avoid the 14%, seven on each side that mm -hmm. the middlemen are taking for that. And instead of having to fill out, you know, 100 pages worth of paperwork and sign all these documents, mm -hmm. it'll just be a smart contract. You know, somebody will put in, um, you know, the amount of money, the other person will have the deed to their house that at that point was talked about as colored coins on Bitcoin, mm -hmm. these unique tokens. Mm -hmm. um, it's come a long way since then. But now, you know, that's technically possible. You could do that on Ethereum. You could do that on EOS if somebody had, you know, a token that represented the deed to their house. But there are a couple problems with it. The first problem is a lot of people don't want to accept crypto for their house because it's super volatile. <laughs> and then they have to sell, you know, a couple hundred thousand or million dollars worth of that crypto makes it even harder. Um, but beyond that, right now, governments haven't embraced crypto as something to actually store, you know, the registry of deeds on a blockchain. But suddenly you introduce a stable coin, something that's more familiar, basically just a digital dollar, and governments may be more open to actually having a crypto-based registry of home ownership or car ownership or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. And then, like he's saying, all of these use cases open up where suddenly, you know, these things we were talking about 
three, four, five years ago are now actually coming to fruition. I, I think it's going to allow the light bulb to turn on for a much wider group of people, a bigger group of people. Right. It's m much easier to understand the concept of a programmable dollar compared to a programmable Ethereum token or a Bitcoin. Absolutely. So. Well, yeah, the, you miss out on all those questions that come along with it. Like, well, how does it get its value and who mm -hmm. controls it and all these different things? People understand what a dollar is for the most part. And then to just tokenize it will definitely be an on-ramp for a lot of people. So there are some negatives to the stable coins. You want to talk about like the ability to freeze a transaction or freeze yeah. a wallet, which is also a feature in, in EOS, but typically it, it's done whenever there's cryptographic proof that something fraudulent happened. Right. And I would assume that would be usually the case for a stable coin, but then you have the issue of like nation states coming in and, right, exactly. in and saying, hey, well, the, take this guy's assets, he's a criminal. Exactly. The main difference between a freeze like ECAF has done on EOS is that the person who owned, you know, say the Ethereum account associated with that, that EOS account in the early days, cryptographically proved that they owned it. They proved they had the private keys mm -hmm. for it. They proved that was their account and asked somebody to freeze it because their account had been hacked. Um, so so n there's there's never been like an ECAF where it's like freeze this guy's accounts because he's a criminal and broke a law in my nation. No, state. never. Yeah, exactly. Never. And, that, and even difference. beyond that, it still requires um, all 21 of the active block producers in to freeze an account. If mm -hmm. any one of them, even a new one that jumps in that didn't implement that blacklist or that freeze, suddenly that person's unfrozen. So I think it's important to note the difference here where some something like Coinbase with USDC Theoretically, they, as this central entity, not a bunch of different block producers, but they as a centralized entity, could come in and freeze your account and say, hey, you know, you can't trade USDC on that sketchy Asian exchange. We don't like that over here, so we're going to block Speaking that. Speaking of sketchy, I don't want to say sketchy Asian exchange. They're probably legit, but they're probably the most hated block producer, even though they're in the top three. <laughs> Huobi. So I, right. I, I read a post by Huobi that was pretty interesting. Because of all these new stable coins, um, their their exchange is actually they have a Huobi stablecoin. I forget what they call it, but basically, if you send a USD Tether or or, or a USDC from Coinbase or a Gemini Dollar, you can send all of these new stablecoins to their exchange, and it does an immediate swap into like the Huobi token. Because oh wow! The Huobi stablecoin is what all of the price pair, the pairs are against. So really? it's like Bitcoin versus their stablecoin. But hmm. they, they accept deposits of all the other stable coins, and you could withdraw on any of the stable coins, but it gets converted into a, a Huobi dollar wow. on the exchange. This is almost like if all of, like, let's say all the 50 states all had dollars, but they all were able to issue it and sort of have their own one. It's almost like a bunch of different people branding their own version of the dollar, which is pretty interesting. I mean, if you think about it, all stable coins are doing is they're, they're tokenizing a, a, a database of money that already existed. So... Uh, before the Coinbase stablecoin was was released, uh, whenever you deposited money into Coinbase and, and you buy and sell a cryptocurrency, you're not actually transferring that money at all. Right. It, it's, it was always a programmatic – it was a number in a ledger in an internal database that yeah. Coinbase had. And their so centralized database. Was they opened up their database and decentralized it and got, oh. did, they did all the regulating. Well, yeah, and this will, it's huge. The, the main benefit to them as a business of doing this is then a lot of the accounting is automatic. So yes. instead of having to dig through all this stuff that then somebody, you know, within the company could forge, they can go to a regulator and say, hey, it's all on a blockchain. Mm -hmm. Here's all of our accounting audit us just using this link. So uh, I can see how it helps them. I'm, I'm super excited for stablecoins, not because I want to invest in them, but because yeah. I believe that to, to get to that next level of mainstream adoption, we have to do things in a way that the general public can understand, and the general public surely understands what a dollar is. Yeah, and I agree. I think stablecoins will be an important point of getting us there. I'm still not super excited about them just because it's like, yeah, oh, I mean, it's it, a dollar. It's, like, it's hard. I'm, I'm more excited about a EOS USD. We talked about right. this with the pegged stablecoin on EOS, how it could happen. 
and that would be collateralized in the same way as a, a tether is collateralized by one U.S. dollar to one U.S. tether. Right. Collateralizing uh, EOS backed dollar would be done similarly, but it would have to be done at, instead of a one to one, like a one dollar to one tether. It would be like they would have a percentage to, to account for if like the price would go down. So like one EOS, if it's at six dollars, might be able to give you like one US dollar that you can collateralize mm -hmm. against it. And just to real quick before we move on to the next topic to talk about all of the different stable coins that exist. We have Tether, which is USDT. We have Coinbase and Circle, which is Goldman Sachs with USDC. We have True USD. We have Haven, which is porting to EOS. We have, which may be a, an EOS USD. We have things like BitUSD on BitShares, and there are probably a dozen more or so that mm -hmm. are so obscure on different platforms that I don't even know that they exist. But just to paint the picture of how many stable coins there are right now that are all you know one to one with a dollar, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, one be the prominent one like tether or will it just be a mix of all so of the thing we, we're, we're going to talk about uh, a new uh product that came out from shios later yeah that we, didn't, we haven't talked about even though it came out two weeks ago where it basically is going to allow uh ethereum tokens to transfer to to an eos token yep and we'll, we'll get into more detail in a bit but most of these tether not well tether included most of these stable coins are ethereum tokens yeah so does that mean you'd be able to transfer that stable coin to eos like now because the shios tool is ready right theoretically i mean you would need somebody on the eos end to create to, to sort of manage it in the same way as somebody's mm -hmm. managing that centralized stablecoin on the, the ethereum end i think what's most interesting and i tweeted coinbase when they made this announcement and was like you know this is great and all but people are going to be really bummed when they're trying to send 20 dollars of usdc to their friend when they realize they have to pay a dollar transaction fee and wait five minutes because it's on ethereum <laughs> like you're, you're basically released a product if you're just talking about exchanging value with other people purely mm -hmm. that use case on coinbase with usdc is worse than a use case like venmo where i can send money for free and i can do it instantly obviously there are the use cases coming but i think once something like this is on eos it will then be comparable to the centralized platforms in terms of ease, ease of use and user experience so we, we got to tie all this stablecoin talk back into eos somehow because this is everything eos after all right and i just want to bring up a point because i've brought up the collateralized uh eos usd and how it could potentially happen and things Dan has said. And you basically short EOS in a way to, to create EOS USD and use the EOS as collateral. The way Dan explained it was how do you make money off that would be the 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 collateralized USD created from this like loan type thing uh, would have a transaction fee on, on the, the stable coin. So it, it could be minimal. So you said you're not going to want to be charged a dollar for a $20 transfer. Right. But what if it was like a penny? And every, oh, every time you transacted dollars, no matter how big or small the transaction, the fee was always a penny. The thing is, I think the fee needs to be zero dollars, zero pennies, because if you look at a centralized platform like Venmo or PayPal or any of these things, even my bank has like a bank to bank thing that I can send instantly. I can send that money effectively instantly. I know it takes longer to settle on the back end, but I can send it what is effectively instantly for zero dollar fee. The only way a decentralized platform like an EOS stablecoin or something is going to compete with that is if it's the same, if not better user experience. And part of that is, is having the same fee structure, which is zero fees. You gotta, you gotta think bigger, Rob, bigger. So if, if you're gonna say, if you're gonna use US dollars as your store of value, mm -hmm. you, you wanna potentially have a way to earn money off of that savings. So from what I understand, the way Dan was explaining it with, with this fee, and he didn't give a number, I'm just gonna say a penny. So imagine if every transaction was a penny. It's small enough that most people aren't gonna care, mm -hmm. but imagine if that penny, every time that all, all of those pennies get lumped into a big 
pile in a smart contract and it all get all those fees get redistributed to whoever actually owns those EOS USD stable coins. So it's a way of earning interest on your, your stable coin that you have saved. I think it's a cool idea, but I think there may be a way to still earn interest on the stable coin while still having zero fees. I'm open to anything. Any way yeah. to make money off these stable I'm just I don't big, know how yeah. to make money off a stable coin, but the example I gave is the only thing I've ever heard of. I don't know if that's actually gonna happen, but it is one potential way that you can create an interest like program programmatically right. on a, on a stable coin. Yeah, the only way I could think you're making money on a stable coin now is speculating when Tether comes off its peg and goes back up or mm. if you're one of the market makers that are keeping these things at all. Right. So this this all ties in the mainstream adoption. Yeah. So you had an interesting conversation on Twitter recently yeah. about how and, and it, it kind of ties into last week where we gave the Peter Thiel example and showed the video of how he used email to advance mainstream adoption of PayPal. Yeah. So why don't why don't you introduce this topic? Yeah. So somebody that I follow on Twitter, his name is Aus Crypto Tim. Uh, A U S is in Australia. Crypto Tim put in an interesting tweet thread recently, and he said an EOS account interface should look like an email inbox. And I tweeted him, and I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Why email? And he responded, Because transactions are just information, like email. It would aid in mass adoption, as every person is familiar with email. Just imagine, you click to create a transaction, just like sending an email, you type an address and you click send. You could sort the types of transactions too, EOS transactions in one folder, other coins in another, and you have a spam folder or promo folder for all the advertisements we get, which happens a lot on EOS right now. People figured out how to send messages to every single EOS account for free. Um, so they're doing that, that goes in your spam. And then he's saying the text function could be furthered, so you could, you could message someone with two EOS, say thanks for buying dinner. Um, but you know, to his point, when you start thinking about this, the possibilities you know, start to grow and start to be kind of limitless. But it's an interesting concept and it piqued my interest because of that Peter Thiel comparison where, you know, PayPal had this problem of, oh, nobody has a PayPal account. So what they did was they just essentially linked it to email and said, oh, if you have an email account, you know, if your friend has one, you can send them money directly to their email. They'll get an email, they log in and claim it. And this could be sort of similar, but from a user experience perspective and user interface perspective, rather than actually tying it to somebody's email. So you could imagine you're new to EOS, you know, you download a mobile wallet for the first time, looks kind of like an email account. You have very simple things, send, receive, spam. I love the idea of different folders and especially the spam folder. I think that's great, um, but a pretty cool concept and, and something that I think we'll see more of. Whereas, you know, concepts in crypto, people are constantly trying to simplify down to existing concepts people understand. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great example of that. So if you if you make an EOS account out there, maybe consider um, making it look like an email inbox. Could be pretty cool. I mean, it makes sense because we, we all get those spam messages you mentioned where people will send oh, yeah. a, a, bun a little bit of EOS dust. Well, even now they don't have to send any EOS. Uh, how have they been doing so that? People I guess built, I have noticed that. People have built contracts with, which, uh, with some kind of message function mm -hmm. that essentially will just send a message to every EOS account. It's just a built-in function. So rather than having to send a memo alongside a 0.001 transaction and then mm -hmm. getting filtered out based on the amount and then nobody sees it, they just figured out how to send a message for free. That's pretty crazy. So, so it, it's kind of cluttering up every everyone's block explorers. M most people have experience with Etherscan, but on Ethereum, you're not going to get spammed because people are paying a couple cents to a dollar for right. every transaction. Exactly. But on EOS, we're, we're just getting hammered. So you, you think about your email inbox, and you with like Gmail, for example, they already have a programmatic way of like filtering your email into your promos yeah. for your social folders. But then you could also set your own filters. So like you could filter out specific words or a specific email address that you right. want to get email from. So you think about that with, with a block explorer and you can kind of do the same thing. Like 
uh, you could have a community like spam control in a way. If, if an account's spamming, you could just de delegate it. You could hit a button that says, I think this is spam. Mm -hmm. And then if enough people click that, then whatever block explorer on every user interface, every, every like front end could have different rules to say, okay, if a hundred people right. say this is spam, we're going to stop showing it and put it in your spam folder. Mm -hmm. And then another front end might say, okay, let's set the threshold at a thousand. Right. But that's the beauty of using the, the blockchain as your, as your database. It's kind of like with steam where there's like busy.org and then there's steamit.com mm -hmm. and they're both working off of the same database of, of messages, but they have different rules for filtering and how they, how they kind of display those messages right. like on, on your like timeline, which ones show up at the top. <laughs> like there's all kinds of different rules on the front ends. And that, that's what decentralization is go going to allow is everyone's working off the same data set and the, the race to be number one is going to be who has the best front end and UI. Absolutely. The most user-friendly interface. Yeah, that's a great point. I like that a lot. And, and to add to that, whenever you mentioned who the tweet was, his name's Crypto Tim. He also has his own YouTube channel. Uh, and he made a video this morning and, oh, and he nice. talked about your conversation with him on Twitter. Oh, that's awesome. So there should be a link. I don't know if it'll be in this corner or this corner, but <laughs> you'll, you'll see a link here. One of the corners. And then there'll be a link in the uh, description. So don't, don't stop the video yet. Wait till the end. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Anything that could uh, advance user experience and, and make uh, inter interacting with, with cryptocurrency and blockchain more like what people are used to today. I think that's like the end goal. Definitely. So moving on from that, there's been some interesting developments as far as the actual EOS upgrades go. So this is the, the core EOS code that runs the blockchain, powers how everything works. And Block One, the company behind EOS that did that massive ICO last year, um, releases software updates every week or so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last week we got another minor update with some bug fixes and, and some, you know, you, uh, some, some different developer improvements. Um, but beyond that, we usually get a big update, you know, every few weeks, every mm -hmm. few months. And it looks like our next big update might be coming soon. You want to explain that? Yeah. So every, a lot of people were nervous about this because Dan came into Telegram and let me let me pull up the uh, conversation. He was talking about some new improvements and he said, um, we're working on an EOS improvement proposal for the first hard fork. Oh, no. Everybody oh, freak out. Shoot. Panic. <laughs> Hard fork. Panic. So whenever people hear hard fork, they think that there's some sort of disagreement or discontent. And that's because uh, for most people, the only hard forks that they know are from the DAO hack, where right. Ethereum Classic split from Ethereum. And then last year uh, on August 1st, whenever SegWit w was uh, implemented and Bitcoin Cash was created and split from Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So that's what most people think about a hard fork. And that's because you have two contentious forks uh, with, with miners supporting both sides of the fork. Exactly. So you, you think uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin had the same history prior to their hard fork. And then after their hard fork, they split with the same history. But there was a group of miners supporting Bitcoin Cash and a group of miners supporting Bitcoin Core, Legacy, whatever right. you want to call it. Uh, but with this EOS hard fork, all of the improvements are going to be to, to speed up the network and to improve it. So... So Dan said, uh, we will probably upgrade single thread intern to compiled Wasm first. That will likely get another 2x improvement. And yeah. we just had a 2x improvement oh, from, yeah. from something that didn't require. A we actually fork. had two previous 2x improvements. One was changing that variable that we talked about last week in the code. The one before that was upgrading standard Wasm to Wabbit, which is just a new way to process transactions that was already two times faster. So 2x, 2x, now on all of these improvements, going to get another 2x improvement on the processing, which is pretty crazy. Uh, they're also investigating Chainbase 2.0, which I don't know what Chainbase 2.0 is, but I'm sure it's really good. That 
implemented with faster data access and better performance with virtual memory. And then Bart Wyatt, who's a developer at Block One, he's it seems seems like he's more one of the more active ones. He's been there yeah. for a long time. He chimed in and said, with paged memory enabling things like SSD backed databases, which SSD is a lot faster than, than yeah. your, your typical hardware. Yeah, the way I understand it right now is that if you have something that you want stored that you know your application can can pull from the chain at any time, mm -hmm. you have to save it in RAM on EOS, which is mm -hmm. why RAM gets so expensive. Obviously, prices have come down and are continuing to decline. But if you could store the majority of the data you need rather than, than putting it on a, a standard hard drive that has a physical thing that has to go in and read the disk, you can put it on, a, on an SSD, a, a flash disk, and suddenly, you know, let's say half of the things you used to need for RAM, you can now store an SSD instead of RAM and, and costs for developers will go down because of that. And so you, you think about thing. that with, with just like a laptop. Yeah. So you could buy an SSD hard drive or your standard disk-based hard drive and mm -hmm. your SSD is just so much faster because it's it's almost it's as fast or almost as fast as RAM, just like you said. Exactly, because it's just flash storage and there's no no physical parts that are moving yeah, around. Yeah, I've been on a flash storage for SSD hard drive for like the last two years. I could not Same. go back. Oh no, there's no way. Oh my God, it's more Especially quiet, when, yeah. it's faster. When it's you're on a normal hard drive and it gets filled up as the little reader or whatever it is that goes mm -hmm. out and out on the, on the actual disk, like it takes longer and longer to load files mm -hmm. and it's just- it's a freaking record. Yeah, it's bad. So what we're getting to is this is going to be an awesome improvement. It's oh, absolutely. All speed-based thing. So there's nothing contentious about it. It's not like with Bitcoin where someone wanted the one megabyte blocks and someone wanted two <laughs> megabyte blocks. So they both split up and yeah. did their own thing. I know. We all want this thing to scale yeah. even further than it already has. So what, what's going to happen is you're going to split. Their hard fork's going to happen. Everyone's going to implement the software and everyone, all, all of the top 21 block producers at that time are going to implement the, the new code. Yep. And everything's going to, there's going to be one chain because nobody's going to support the sloth chain. Absolutely. Like the original EOS chain is going to kind of die on the spot because nobody in their right mind is going to support it and everyone will still have their same tokens that they had. Exactly. The, the end user isn't even going to realize there was a hard fork. Yeah, if you're out there freaking out going, oh my God, you what do not, I need to do? Just do nothing. Yeah, do nothing and, and you probably won't even notice that this even happened. So there, there is a pretty good explanation of the hard fork on, on Reddit. I'll put, I'll put the link uh, in the description. But they kind of explained how... Uh, all of the block producers uh, use their APIs to kind of power a, a lot of the front ends uh, integrating with the blockchain. Yeah. So like the scatter wallet and everything, they'll just like kind of swap to the new chain instantly. That's why the user isn't even going to... Exactly. And they, yeah, n nobody who's building an app and using a current API should have to really do anything. It should be on the BPs, the block producers to upgrade. So even so like for example, a scatter wallet won't have to do anything. Right. Like so when we, when we upgrade api.cypherglass.com, which is one of our, our APIs, um, to the new, when it's suddenly on the new chain, all of the dApps and all of the users that have their wallets synced up with api.cypherglass.com will boom, instantly be switched over to the new chain. So there shouldn't, I don't know, maybe there will be some downtime from this, but it, I doubt it just based on the way upgrades have gone in the past. So it's just gonna lower CPU cost. It, it, yep. I don't know if it'll make RAM more efficient. Like we don't know all of the improvements they're making. Right. We just know about three or four lines oh, yeah, this is just that the tease. Dan mentioned in Telegram. So imagine when he comes out with that full release list like we <laughs> saw with the big 1.0 oh, yeah. release and, and see all the cool stuff we get. I'm excited. So Dan Dan also dropped another uh, doozy in, in the same channel. It was in the ES main channel on October 20th. That's when all of this conversation happened. Uh, someone named Henry Bolgikov, he asked Dan, when Rex and staking... Yeah. And Dan actually responded. People mess people ask Dan questions all the time. Oh, and he, he just ignores he, it. He decides what to uh, respond to. And he yeah. said, the finishing touches are being done now, then up to the community. Yep. 
So I, I thought that was interesting because uh, after that, uh, ES New York put out an interesting blog post about some of the controversy around implementing the Rex if it's ready. Mm -hmm. So for, for those who uh, aren't familiar with the Rex is, it's a proposal that uh, Dan Larimer, the CTO of Block One, made a few months ago for uh, a resource exchange. So what this would allow you to do is it would kind of work like Chintai, if you're familiar with that, where if you have EOS tokens, you have rights to all of the bandwidth on the EOS network based on how many tokens you hold. But if you're just holding the tokens and you're not actually transacting on, on the main net, you have you have tra uh, computation that you're not using, so you could actually lease that out to people who who want it at a fraction of the cost of buying the EOS tokens. So what the Rex will allow you to do is you'll be able to stake your unused EOS tokens to the resource exchange or the Rex, and then that's going to put your your uh, computation in in a big pool that will allow uh, DApp developers and applications running on EOS to to kind of pay for the, the uh, a rental of the EOS in the racks. Right. So a fraction of a penny per transaction. And then all of those fees are going to go into a Rex fund. And then in addition to that, uh, the network is also uh, already collecting fees. Mm -hmm. So we have the RAM trading fees. So if you're, you're buying or selling RAM on the RAM market, uh, there's a half a percent uh, trading fee for the buyer and a half a percent for the seller. Yeah, and that's just to limit speculators and keep the price and down. I, I know. I know. There's an account I could look at to see the total of that. Let's just yeah. If you up. go to eosio.ramfee on any block explorer, you have to type in the dot. So the RAM account currently has almost two million EOS in it. <laughs> so these are just fees accumulated uh, by the network, and yeah. they're sitting in an account that no one has access to. So ten and a half million dollars. And this was all accumulated over the course of since what, like early June when the mainnet launched. Right. And then the other fees that are being accumulated are from the ES name auctions. And since you just did a video on the ES name auction, well, similar to the ES name similar, auctions. Similar, yeah. Why don't you explain what the ES name auction is? So right now, if you have an account on EOS, you're required to have it be exactly 12 characters. So there's a lot of cool names you can make with that. Most people are fine with that. But if you want something more custom that's less than 12 characters, you actually have to buy that in this auction style. So one name is auctioned off every day. I think the top bid is for Z. So somebody wants the account name Z. But what's cool about these individual accounts is then you can make sub account names. So we put out a cool video on the Cypherglass YouTube channel uh, just this week that talked about how to register a .x name. So what happened basically was somebody went out, they bought X, mm -hmm. just the account name X, but then because EOS allows you to, to create and issue sub account spaces, sub name spaces as they call them, you can then make the, you know, you could have zachgall.x or poetry.x, whatever name you wanted, you could make um, because of it. But but when people go out and they buy that name X or, or bid on any other name, all of those fees, all of that EOS goes into the EOSIO.names account, which right now is about three quarters of a million EOS. So another you know, $4 million sitting there that would also be distributed to people who are using Rex, which is pretty crazy. All right. So right now, those are the main ways that uh, fees are accumulated. So we have the EOSIO names, yep. the EOSIO RAM fees, and then... Um, the Rex itself by selling the computation or leasing it out to people who want the extra computation power but don't want to own the tokens to, right. to get it. So all of that's going to create it's yeah. going to create a pool of funds uh, that are going to be redistributed to to the EOS token holders who actually have their EOS tokens staked into the Rex. Exactly. So think of it like this: um, if you have a hundred extra EOS tokens that you want to stake into the Rex, you stake them to the Rex. And then to do that, you also have to vote for a minimum of 21 block producers. Yep. So you're forced to vote 
and then you stake into the Rex, and then you get, in exchange you get Rex tokens. So I, I stake 100 EOS tokens and I get 100 Rex tokens in exchange. And then uh, I don't know if there's a minimum time or not, but whenever I eventually want to, uh, I think it's 30 days. If, if uh, so, 30. Yeah, I think you minimum? have to commit to stake for at least 30 days. Okay, which is pretty crazy. So what would happen is, let's say on November 1st, I stake those 100 EOS into the Rex, and I get back 100 Rex tokens. Those Rex tokens are non-transferable back into the Rex for 30 days. Yep. So then on the 30th day, if I want to take my profits, I would send my Rex tokens back to the Rex. Mm -hmm. And then in exchange, I'll get all 100 EOS tokens back plus my percentage of the profits from the last 30 days exactly. made in the Rex. For however long you had them stake. So if... if there, I don't know how many are actually going to be in the Rex. Let's say there was only 1,000 tokens staked and... 100 of them were mine. Mm -hmm. That would mean I would be rewarded 10% of all of the fees oh, yeah. accumulated in, in the entire pool of funds. So that that's really unique and it kind of separates the token price from, from the, the cost of transacting and mm -hmm. actually using the EOS main net. That was a really good, that's probably the best explanation I've heard of Rex so far in terms of how you would get the fees and the profit. And that's, <laughs> that was really simple, that was good. So, but, so that, that's why we're excited about the Rex because it allows yeah. you to earn interest essentially on your EOS tokens by doing nothing different than you're already doing. If you're already voting and you're already staking your tokens, yep. but you're not using all of your CPU every day, then why not stake them into the Rex? You're, you're, you're gonna make money off of it and you're gonna make it cheaper for other people who do need that computation Absolutely. to transact. Well, and this should basically be like Chintai on steroids. So Chintai is that other leasing platform that mm -hmm. you mentioned, but the problem that a lot of dApps are hitting right now, um, I was talking, for example, in the BetDice Telegram the other day, and they were saying, you know, oh, we need to lease more CPU. This was before the, the issues were fixed. Um, but there's not enough uh, liquidity on Chintai. There just wasn't enough. They could maybe get another 100,000 EOS stake to them, but they really needed much, much more. So when something like this comes out, suddenly you have a pool of, if all the current EOS staked, 550 million EOS available for developers. And it's going to get a lot cheaper, a lot easier, a lot more accessible for developers to come in and lease the stuff that they need. But So let's get into the controversy. Absolutely. Though, because we talked about the the... So right now... It's just like Chintai where it comes to the leasing and the renting of the tokens. But the added, the, the things that make this like really, really valuable is putting in those RAM trading fees and then the name auction fees. And then if, if there's a BitShares 3.0 on mm -hmm. EOS eventually, and it won't be called that, but like a system contract level, oh, like yeah, you Bancor add... style exchange, yeah. those trading fees might potentially go into the Rex. Yeah, and something, an important differentiation between Rex and Chintai is that with Chintai, you're sending your tokens away to a smart contract. And when you do that, you lose all of your voting power, you lose your rights for it. And then they're basically voting those tokens you know, for you, mm -hmm. which is kind of, a, it's sort of a misalignment of incentives. But with Rex, in addition to getting paid out those fees for, you know, having your token staked, even if somebody's not leasing them, you're still getting those network mm -hmm. fees. You also maintain control of the voting power of your tokens, which I think is huge and, and something very necessary, especially for people that have a significant amount of EOS. So EOS New York put out an interesting uh, blog post about this yeah. though, because it, it's setting a precedent. So everyone wants the Rex and every, I have not met a single person who is like, I hate the Rex. I do yeah, not want to make money off my EOS tokens. I don't want to give away my computation. Right. I'm not I don't using... want to make it easier for devs to build. There, there's not a single person who's against it. Yep. So in its full form with the RAM trading fees and the EOS name auctions and everything else, I have no doubt that the entire community would support it and the right. block producers could implement it. But messing with 
uh, the network fees or the network funds, like the RAM trading fees and, and the name auctions, it's setting a bad precedent if the block producers are able to make a decision on how those monies are, are being distributed Absolutely. and used. So we're still waiting for referendum. Yep. Um, but basically, referendum will allow the token holders to vote on what they want the block producers to implement as far as exactly. new features or new proposals. Um, so what they recommended is that we implement the RECs without the RAM trading fees and without the name auction fees. Huh. And the block producers can implement that with little pushback. I don't think anyone would really see an issue with it. Right. But then they proposed that we wait until referendum to implement the the movement of network funds the the name trading fees right or the name I mean, auction it, fees and then the ram trading fees it makes an incredible amount of sense and the the thing that makes this really easy is that dan larimer uh qualified that with the rex turning on and off those those extra fees is just literally changing a variable like a switch hmm. like so, a zero or one so yeah so it's so easy to implement the recs without those features right and then whenever the community votes eventually when the referendum's ready to implement those those network fees into the recs it's just changing that zero to a one yeah. essentially and i think that's smart and, and definitely the right way to go about it props to, to east new york for writing this very very detailed article if you look at it kevin rose yeah they're doing a good job but um beyond that i think just talking about the precedent here, and that's why even if everybody already agrees, hey, you know, go ahead and switch on those network fees, it's bad precedent if block producers can just go in and take millions of dollars, which at that point might be tens of millions of dollars, mm -hmm. and just direct it somewhere else. So it is very important that all the token holders sort of agree we have a real referendum just to set the precedent that BPs can't do this on their own. Yeah, because could you imagine if BPs... Uh, without a referendum, we're like, we're going to increase our uh, pay to 2% inflation. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, it'd be unheard of. It's like increasing your own salary. Yeah. And it, even though they'd be moving these fees to the recs, which everyone agrees on, it's just a bad precedent. And we, we don't need to do it because we know referendum is so close. Oh, I, yeah. I've well, been waiting for months for this thing. I'm excited to see what happens with the referendum when we get to vote on the Constitution, on new features, on all kinds of stuff. And there may even be new let's call them new dApps or new use cases, new things that we could vote on that right now we're, we, we mm -hmm. can't even come up with, that then we'll go, oh, wow, we could use the referendum for this. And I think it's going to open up all these new use cases that are really engaging with all the token holders, which so is awesome. I thought it was interesting, too, with the actual uh, smart contract being used uh, for the referendum, it could actually, it's very malleable and, and reusable for other things. So if you wanted to have a, a vote on the EOS mainnet within just the people in your office to vote on what type of pizza you want to order for lunch, <laughs> you could set up any type of voting yeah. with, with, within any group of people using the same smart contract. Oh, that's awesome. So it's, it's not just uh, network-wide votes. I mean, that's what it's mostly going to be used for. Right. But other people can take the, this, this source code in this library and, and make it do other things that are, that are kind of wow. interesting. Oh, I can imagine people, let's say, you know, Everpedia, who has all these different token holders, hundreds of thousands of people, they can go and do a referendum amongst their token holders for new features or new additions or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. So that should open up a lot of possibilities. Man, I think we went really long on those stable coins. We gotta Yeah, we really did. This. We gotta we gotta talk about this one though, because one we already teased it at the beginning. Yep. And two, we we, we kind of miss 
missed over it two weeks ago whenever yeah. it was released. So ever since the you know EOS was even announced, there was there were all these plans. You know, how can we make it easy to port Ethereum tokens over to EOS? I'll just mm -hmm. allow people to migrate. The platform's better. It's easier to use. It's cheaper for developers. How do we get them over here? And Everipedia, for the longest time, was working on this token relay that would allow Ethereum developers to easily port their tokens, boom, over to EOS. You know, months and months came and went. Never really happened. So what ended up happening was Shios, which is another great block producer candidate, actually released their own token relay ahead of Everpedia. So it looks like they won't be it's working on that anymore. Brock Pierce's wife, isn't it? Yeah, Crystal Rose. Um, they're a bunch of other great, uh, I believe their entire team's women, hence the name Shios, but a bunch of great women from the crypto industry who have, have done a lot. Um, Codex Protocol's in there, a lot of different people. But anyway, they've come out with what they're calling the EOS 21 protocol. And they're going to have this sort of token portal where anybody, if you have an Ethereum token, if you as a developer want to bring that over to EOS, you can easily set up a portal through which people send their Ethereum tokens and boom, on the other end, they get their EOS token. So pretty so cool can, to see. I think it's cool they call it teleportation. Yeah. To teleport your tokens from Ethereum to EOS. Yeah. And there's actually a, a meme from the uh, Blocksmith EOS meme contest. I'll throw up the meme. It was a Rick and Morty themed uh, oh, nice. teleportation meme. Boo! <laughs> And then speaking of memes, every time I make a meme, I got to share it on the show because yep. I, I like to share the love. This is uh, this week's entry for the EOS meme contest. Nice. <laughs> My Lion King themed EOS King. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and, it, and it actually got me a Brock Pierce follow back on Twitter. Yeah, I saw he retweeted and follow you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I mean, to, to you know, his defense, I would have followed you and retweeted that too because it looked like his face was sort of meant for that, like the same style and everything. It was, Dude, I'm it was so cool. nervous to, to meet Dan in San Francisco because he's going to be like, you're the guy that keeps making memes about me. Oh, you're that meme guy, aren't you? I'm like, I love you, Dan. Come on. We, we, we love your technology. I feel like in this day and age, having people make memes about you, give you some more. That's how you know you made it, man. Oh, you get more memetic energy. You know, you, you move up. Everything's good. So they don't mind. All right, so let's get through. I guess we, we could talk about Shios and EOS 21 a little bit more, but yeah. th there's already been a lot of good videos about it on, on a lot of good yeah. readings. The main, the main awesome thing that's going to happen from this, the, the one big takeaway, is now it's much, much easier for Ethereum developers to port over to EOS, and we're going to see a lot of people using this in the, the near future and, and probably the, the long yeah, I think term the as well. the studio's even kicking us out. The light already turned off. You're over in the dark over here. It looks like <laughs> on the little camera in the shadows. That's all right. So let's give some fun reminders. Remind people about those damn pumpkins. So... Real quick, you're out there, you're carving a pumpkin, you want to win up to 200 EOS first prize, 100 EOS second, 50 EOS third prize, go out, carve an EOS themed pumpkin, uh, tweet it to at CypherglassBP with the hashtag Halloween. we'll put up the little contest thing here, and you can win this money. So go out and do it, it's been a fun time, and it's been awesome to see all the, the submissions come in. And if you're on the fence about San Francisco, please do make it. your way out there, do it. If do you, it. If you live in a drive, especially if you live in driving distance, like there's oh, so absolutely. many tech people in Silicon Valley, San Diego, all these drivable within two or three hours, you gotta come out there. Even if you don't wanna compete, come out to Scaling Blockchain on Monday, come hang out, be on like-minded people. I'm mostly excited about the conversations and people more than the hackathon itself, yep. more than the conference itself. I just want to be around the people. Like it, it wouldn't matter if it was in a McDonald's parking lot. <laughs> I, I, I love would, it. I would be there. You should uh, tweet block one and say, "Hey, next venue for the the global <laughs> final McDonald's parking lot." House. Yeah, there we go. No, I, I totally agree. It's it, the community really is about the people that are in the community because without the people, it would be nothing. So it's going to be awesome to meet everybody there, and of course, hopefully, meet Dan. I hope so. Anything else you want to throw in? Uh, I think that's it. Oh, next week, actually. Next week, you're going to want to watch Ooh, on video. Special we have very special edition Halloween episode Ooh. coming out next Halloween. Be ready for it. Be ready on YouTube watching that video version. It, uh, it should be pretty fun. Oh, yeah. 
All right, so that that's a nice teaser to finish this off. Yep. You guys can guess the costumes we'll be wearing. Ooh. A little hint. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's it for this week. Once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything Yos. Boom.